You almost had to see it to believe it. 4,700 students, 5,800 altogether, praising God in an incredible opportunity. If you prayed for the Life 2019 conference, I want to thank you for that. It was an exceptional experience. Connie and I have had the privilege of being a part of 14 of them, and without a doubt, this was one of the best. As only God could do, we are so blessed at Community Alliance. I hope you know that. I hope you appreciate that, and I'm sure you do. We had more people go from our church to that conference than the average church in North America. The average church in North America is how many people? Anybody know? 75. We had almost 85 people from just CAC go to the Life Conference 2019, and it was an exceptional experience. Of 233 students who went to a seminar called What Are the Next Steps into Full-Time Ministry, 15 of them were from CAC. So if you prayed for us, prayed for the event, prayed for the experience, it was absolutely an unbelievable experience. Keeping everybody safe, keeping them happy, bringing them home safely. Our kids were phenomenal. I never had to send one of our kids home early. And that's a really good thing when you're director of security. It's always a good thing. Some of the best communicators I've ever heard. Megan was one of the speakers, the best preacher I probably have ever been around. But we had a student who had a concussion experience wiped out right after the worship experience, right before she got up on the stage. I had to have EMTs, a fire truck, guys, seven of them who had all been in the gym that day. I don't know if you know what that means, but you can tell when they get out of the fire truck and out of the uh, ambulance, you look like they've all been to the gym all day long. They're all puffed and ready to go and all up front with more equipment than you can imagine, right up very front for this girl. And Megan got up to preach, and she said, God's got that, you watch me. And not one person knew what was going on on the front stage. They were that connected to what God was doing there. So thank you for praying. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for trusting us in sending your students to a literally life-changing experience. Got to ask you a quick question, though. For some crazy reason, I've smelled popcorn all morning long. <laughs> Any of you? No idea why I keep smelling popcorn. Okay, was that creative or what? I mean, those guys did a great job. I had the opportunity to listen to all three of them. That was pretty, pretty creative. Now, I know you're wondering, what's he going to do today? One of Kozik's kids. If you know Keith Kozik, our adult ministry's pastor, he's got four sons. One of them is a spitting image of him we call Little Koz. And he walked in this morning, looked at all that, and said, are you selling fruit now? I said, come with me. We'll talk about it. If you think of one or two people that you love or admire the most, I want you to have their picture in your mind. One or two people. Don't have to be in the audience here this morning. One or two pictures of people in your head that you love or admire the most. You got it? Now, if I were to ask you why, why is it that they immediately come to your mind what about them causes you to immediately have them come into your head when I talk about people that you love or admire the most? And what about them causes that to happen? I got to believe if I went around the auditorium this morning and I were to ask you, what is it you like the most about them? What is it you admire the most about them? Why is it that they came to your mind? I got to believe that I would hear sentences like this. They are just so loving. He's so gentle. She's incredibly kind. She has so much joy. I know her life. 
She's had to deal with a lot of stuff, a lot of issues, and even some tragedy. I'm fascinated by the fact that she always still exudes joy. Almost every one of the comments would be characteristics that would fall into one of the nine qualities that we talk about this morning and for the next number of weeks as Paul begins to describe and define what it means to be a Christ-like follower of Jesus and what it means to emulate that by the life that you live called the fruit or evidence of the Spirit-controlled life. We're going to begin a series this morning, believe it or not, called the fruit of the Spirit. So I obviously have some visual displays. I happen to know somebody in the children's department who let me for a day borrow this one. And I had to create my own over here. But we're going to talk over the next number of weeks about those kinds of things that set us apart as being followers of Jesus. Those things that identify us when people look at us, they know that person is a follower of Christ. That person is a Jesus-loving, God-following, spirit-filled follower of Jesus. I know it. I've watched their life. I look at them. I watch them. I'm around them. I see them. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I know that person is a God-loving, Jesus-following follower of Christ. It's easy to tell. I love fruit. I love fresh fruit, don't you? I mean, I love one of my favorite. We know it's a sign of summer, not when the rain stops, because that never seems to happen, except this week when I decided to go back to work. I took a week off after life. It rained or was 99 degrees, one or the other. Went back to work 77 and sunny the entire week. I was back in the office. We know it's summer when we have our favorite fruit dessert. Looks a lot like this. It is every fruit you can imagine. It is watermelon. It is strawberries, fresh strawberries, not frozen strawberries, fresh strawberries, fresh watermelon, all kinds of things that go with it. And then you take sour cream and powdered sugar. You put them all together. You pour it over the top. You have crushed rice checks with honey and chopped walnuts on the top. And you want to go eat now, right? Yeah. (laughs) Just because those guys offered popcorn doesn't mean I'm doing this after the service. We are absolutely convinced the moment we get that on a picnic celebration at the beginning of the summer, summer is finally here. Fresh fruit. Is tomato a fruit or a vegetable? How many say it's a fruit? How many say it's a vegetable? You're kidding. It's a fruit. Can you tell the difference when you just go to this garden and pull that tomato off, slice it up and put it on your sandwich? Can you tell the difference between that and one that you know has been shipped from somewhere for so long that you're not sure how long ago it was when it was really pulled off the vine? You can tell the difference, right? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. You can tell the difference. Now, after a while, you can't get fresh fruit. If you live in Pennsylvania. (laughs) If you live in other places, other states, maybe you can go out all the time and pick fresh fruit. But after a while, fruit goes out of season. The things that you like the most about summer fruit isn't there anymore. What I want to talk to you about over the next eight or nine or ten weeks together, I'm going to take a two-week break in the middle of that, is fruit that never goes out of season. Fruit that is always fresh. These qualities that God describes here in the section of Scripture that are going to be in this morning in your sermon notes are things that you and I possess that really makes us attractive to other people. When we think of being attractive to others, we think of what goes on on the outside, right? 
I mean, some of you spent, all of you spent a lot of time, bless your heart, you spent a lot of time getting ready for church this morning, didn't you? You get up, you looked in the mirror, you made sure everything was straight, made sure it all looked good, had the right clothes that matched, all those kind of things. You did a really, really good job of making sure what we see on the outside is what you want us to see. But what we're talking about here over the next number of weeks is not what we see on the outside, but what we see on the inside. We spend so much time on the outside. We ought to spend way more than that on the inside. Those character traits, those qualities that people admire about us usually do not refer to what we see on the outside. Let me take your sermon notes out. You're in your bulletin this morning. I think it's this color, although mine's Denny-sized, yours is not. <laughs> A couple of reasons, at least two that I want to share with you this morning, that this series is important. One is that belief doesn't always equal behavior. Belief does not always equal behavior. I wish it did. God's word says it should. But it doesn't always. Researchers tell us that the behavior and the lifestyle of those who say or claim to be churchgoers, followers of Jesus, and those who aren't, isn't always that different. James tells us that that's not what it should be. The Bible says that's not what it should be. James said faith and works ought to be connected. Jesus said you'll know a person by their fruit. You'll know which ones are mine, not only by their love. You'll know which ones are mine by the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. So we need to examine these truths to see how we can be attractive to a non-believing society. We talk about being different and peculiar in the sense we should be. But I believe that there ought to be something about us that causes people to want to know what makes us different. To actually draw them to us. Not repel them from us. Some of the greatest opportunities you and I will ever have to witness come as a result of that. Some of the greatest opportunities that you and I ever have to share our faith come as a result of that. Because people will want to know, what makes you so unique? What makes you handle that so well? Why do you always seem to have joy, even in the midst of all the circumstances that I know you've been through? What makes you fill with so much grace and love? You always treat people with kindness and tenderness. Never high expectation. Never treat people like... I mean, if you're always grumpy and hard to get along with, you usually don't have people coming up to you saying, I really want to be just like you. <laughs> Do you? I mean, if you're grumpy and hard to get along with, you don't have a whole lot of people that say, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. If you're Eeyoreing your way through life, y'all know who Eeyore is? Okay, Wilbur. Well, I'm not even sure what cartoon's that from. What cartoon's that from? What is it? What is it? Oh, Winnie the Pooh, yeah. That's a bear with honey, all right? If you're Eeyoreing your way through life, there's not a whole lot of people walking up to you saying, boy, I just want to be like you. That ought not to be the way it is. A little Coase came in here this morning and he said, hey, what's the deal with the fruit stand? I said, come on up here. Let me ask you a question. What, uh, Eric, come here a minute. When you look at this basket, which one's real, which one's not? Which one's the real one? Those are good fakes. <laughs> They're really good fakes, aren't they? You've answered my question, haven't you? You've answered my point. They're really good fakes. When you look at these two, you can tell the difference this way how. 
by the weight. You bite into it. You bite into this one, you can tell that it's not real. You bite into this one, you can tell it's real. When you look at these, it's pretty easy for you to tell that they look a lot alike. But when you spend some time with them or you take a bite into that, you will notice a difference. That is exactly what it ought to be with us. The more people are around us as followers of Christ, the more they ought to notice some things about us that make us so genuine. Because there's a lot of fake Christians out there, right? Who claim to know God, who go to church, who claim they're followers of Jesus. But when you're around them a long time or you're with them a little bit of time, you can tell the difference between the genuine and the phony. Second reason this is important is because serving God doesn't always equal pleasing God or knowing God on a deeper level. Serving God doesn't always equal pleasing God or knowing God. What we do for God is not the primary purpose of God in our lives. He's more concerned about what we become by what we do. It's exactly what Sky said to the students that were there that week. God is much more concerned about what we become than by what we do. Jesus' very first sermon, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, the focus of the entire message was on being. Just because we serve, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with serving at all, it doesn't automatically mean that we're pleasing God or getting to know him on a deeper level. He's much more interested in what we become through our doing than the doing itself. Just because we're busy doesn't always mean we're pleasing God. What we become as a result of our doing is what pleases him. One of the hardest sayings of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's not just what we do. How many times have you been around people who have said, well, I went to church, I taught a class, I, I, I taught Sunday school, and I went through this whole list of things, and, and you're going, wow, it's a lot of good things. There's nothing about your life that makes me want to follow you or imitate you. That's why Paul had the guts to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I hear people all the time say, well, don't look at my life. I'm going to disappoint you. Well, of course you are. Of course I am. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Absolutely. But I love Paul who had the guts to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Another reason, I won't go into it in depth this morning, but this series is important is because just by taking a stand doesn't equal, equal changing society. Taking a stand doesn't always equal changing society. Just because we take a stand as Christians doesn't always mean that we're salt and light to the community, especially when while we're taking the stand, these character traits are missing. Not a lot of people take a stand, but they do it in a way that doesn't, emulate the love of Christ that radiates out of the stand they're taking. Paul's here in Galatia addressing a number of issues. If you read the entire book, which I didn't tell you to do that this morning, but certainly at some point this next few weeks, I'd love for you to do that. He is trying to help them understand you were on the right track. Man, you were following God. It wasn't a list of rules and regulations. It wasn't about do's and don'ts. You were following Jesus. You were in love with him. You were passionate about growing in him. You really wanted to know him better. It wasn't about serving. It wasn't about doing. It was about being. And then somewhere along the way, somebody got to you. That's almost exactly what Paul's saying. Who got to you? How did all of a sudden it go from 
being and deepening your walk with Jesus to be all about doing. And sadly now, I can't even tell the difference. You got so confused. People were actually undermining Paul, saying he wasn't even an apostle. They were trying to tell people they needed to follow this list of do's and don'ts. And Paul said, look, it's not about that. It's not about what you used to do or what you are or what you're doing now. It's about the change that Jesus is making in your life to take you away from what you used to be to who you are now. In Galatians chapter 5, he shows us the difference between the deeds of the flesh and deeds of the spirit. Draws a distinction between what they were and the outcome and evidence of a Jesus love and God-controlled, spirit-filled life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think we should serve. Absolutely think we should take stands. But we need to display the fruit of the spirit because that's what makes us effective when we do those things. Galatians chapter 5, you're there. In your sermon this morning, in your book, your Bible, your iPad, whatever you use best. It is for freedom, Galatians chapter 5, got to begin at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go backwards in your spiritual life. For in verse 6, Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. He's going to go deeper than that than just love. But he said the evidence of that is faith that expresses itself, that is absolutely visible, not in what you do, but in who you are. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Now verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly out of love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out, you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You won't go backwards. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you're not now able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, he gives a list, not a complete list, an obvious list. The acts of the flesh, what is opposite of what God desires, are these. It's pretty obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So he gets that and the like to make sure he helps understand it's not a complete list. I warn you, just as I did before, those who live like that, which means they continue to do that, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the opposite of those things is this. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, the outcome of a Spirit-filled life is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since now we live by the Spirit, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. We'll talk a lot more about that next Sunday morning. Paul talks about what we can become in our relationship with Christ, in opposite of what we used to be. Now, if you came to Jesus at 7, you probably didn't do the list of those things in that list. 
If you came to Jesus in a Bible school class when you were young or four or nine, you probably didn't do those things on the list. But you know as well as I do, he's speaking to an environment where people had no other concept of God. They did their own thing, lived on their own way, did whatever they wanted to do. Now all of a sudden Jesus comes in, the picture is painted, he gives his life, he shares with us what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Paul says, no, wait a minute, now that you're a follower of Jesus... Let me show you what that looks like. It's not about the things you used to do. It's about who you are that then keeps you from doing all those things that you used to do. There's another way to live, a higher way. God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentleness, and self-controlled. There's no law against those things. Paul gives some incredible qualities of a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. Now, you'll notice there's not nine fruits of the Spirit, but one fruit with nine qualities within that fruit. When you go to the fruit market, you see all these things all nicely stacked. Did you ever see these things just stacked up so wonderfully nice in this nice little pyramid and ever be tempted to want to go over and just take the bottom one? No, you don't do that. But what do you do? You go through it to find out which one is the freshest. You thump the watermelon there. You thump the cantaloupe. I have no idea why we thump them, but supposedly that's to tell us something. So we're looking at it. We examine it. We make sure it's not soft. We make sure it's as fresh as possible. You want to make sure that you've picked the best out of all the options that you have. Here you need to understand there's a tendency for us to do the same thing when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. To pick and choose which ones we want to concentrate on or the ones that come easy to us. I know a lot of Christians who may be gentle, but they lack joy. When Paul talks about what we ought to be, he said all of these things ought to be displayed in our life. When we think of fruit and not fruits, that removes the freedom to pick and choose and removes the temptation to prioritize them. We need to see them as all related. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's obviously saying all of these come from God. All of these come from our relationship with God. All of these are outcomes of our relationship with Jesus, the Spirit-filled life. There's a connection in your sermon notes between the fruit and the root. The qualities that we possess come to us from God. John 15 is one you can't miss that ties in together, these two together. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, my father's a gardener. Cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, while every branch that does prunes it so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. No branch can bear fruit of its own. It's got to remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear a lot of fruit. Apart from me, you can't. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown into the fire, withers away. They're picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask whatever you want and it'll be done. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. We so often hear ourselves saying, Jesus says, you'll know the, my people by their love, which is true. Here he's saying, it's not just about love. You'll know which ones are mine. You'll know which ones are followers of Jesus by the fruit that they bear, by how they live out the life that you're called to live. Now, if you go in your backyard and plant a fruit tree, you don't expect to pull fruit off of it within the first couple of months, right? You know that it's going to take time. You know that you've got to do the things that are necessary, and eventually it'll do what it's supposed to do. 
It will take time to do that, but eventually you want it to produce what it was intended to produce, right? It's exactly what Jesus is saying. You're a follower of me. I want you to fully understand that what I'm asking you to do, what I'm asking you to work on, what I'm asking you to live out is the qualities that I know that are in there in you that if you walk with me hand in hand and work through the journey, you'll be an obvious evidence that I'm working in you. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. I know you pulled them out. Notice that every single part of the fruit is found in the character of God. Love, God is love. Joy, he will rejoice over you. Peace, the God of peace. He is patient with you. Kindness, every single one of the nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit are found in the character of God. Now, when you look at those, faithfulness, he is faithful, meekness, I am gentle and humble, this is where you look at all this and say, okay, seriously, you mean I'm to possess all of these to claim to be a fully committed follower of Jesus? you have any idea what you're asking of me? I know my weakness. I know my humanity. You're telling me that to be a fully devoted, Jesus-following, God-controlled, spirit-led believer, I'm to display all of these all of the time. And the answer is yes. And if you're really, really honest, you're saying you're asking me for something really hard. I feel like sometimes this is a challenge that we just can't produce. I heard the story a number of years ago of a little boy who bought a bantam hen. Found out that the egg was so small that he thought certainly it could do better than that. So he went out and bought either a big goose egg or an ostrich egg, put it beside it and said, come on, you can do better. If we're honest in our spiritual journey, there's a lot of times when we feel like we can't live up to the expectations that people have on us or that we think even God has on us or the word of God has on us. But somebody in love came up to us and said, come on, you can do better. And then we feel like if we just keep trying, just keep trying, just keep trying, keep working harder, doing more, and that's not always the best way to go about it. We'll talk about that in a second. You also notice in your sermon notes, when you look into God's word, these are not just simply things that we are to emulate. These are commands as well. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Rejoice in the Lord always. Seek peace and pursue it. Be patient with everyone. Clothe yourself with kindness. Do good to all people. Be faithful even to the point of death. Show humility toward all men. Add to your knowledge self-control. We're not only to have all of these qualities in our lives, we're supposed to be having all of these qualities all the time. God doesn't command us, though, to do what is impossible to do. Now, I'm not trying to frustrate you. I'm not trying to say this is impossible to do. What I am saying is, if we indeed claim to be followers of Jesus, this is the obvious evidence or outcome of what that's to look like. And to do that, we need at least two things in your sermon notes. The divine inner working of the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about next Sunday morning. And my response to obedience. My response of obedience. God gives me the power, the energy, the wisdom, and the encouragement. I supply the obedience and the discipline. Now what I want you to do this morning is take a test. All right? You obviously have it in front of you. It's in your sermon notes. What I want you to do is be as absolute honest as possible and circle one if that one is easy 
and five if that one is difficult. And then what I want you to do, if you're married, show it to your spouse and see how honest you really were. Matter of fact, switch it. Give it to your spouse and write your name at the top and tell them to fill it out for you. No, you don't have to do that. Be honest. Which ones are easy? Which ones come easy? Which ones are more difficult? Take a moment and circle them. All right, pencils down. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> always wanted to say that. I was never a professor. I always wanted to say that. <clears throat> pencils down. Turn your test over. I need a new sheet, Pete, teacher. This is what I want you to do. I want you to bring that back with you next week. I think the thing that I'm concerned about or I have been concerned about through the years is what we sometimes say to people who are trying to really be everything they want to be in Jesus is we keep looking at them and saying, just try harder. Just keep trying harder. Read the Bible more. Go to Bible study. Be in a small group. Those are awesome, wonderful things. I think sometimes what we don't do is help them understand the whys. Why is this one so difficult? What I'd love to do next Sunday morning, and it's honestly not put together yet, but what I'd love to really unpack next Sunday morning is to talk about some of the what's, some of the why's, maybe the when, even the where, and obviously the house. Why is that one so hard? Out of these nine, why is patience, in my case, so hard? I love, I love it when I hang up the phone after being on the phone for 27 minutes. And somebody says, thank you for your patience. I love that. I, wanna, I don't have any. <laughs> and they already hung up. I just so bad want to talk to them. Give my name and personal cell phone number so we can just have a conversation after that. Why is that one, why is love, why is gentleness, why is that one the hardest for me? And what I'd love for you to really be honest about, this is going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to have some mental thinking next Sunday morning. What I'd love for you to do even this week as you unpack all of that is, what happened? And we don't do that one either really well. What happened in my past experience? And maybe you'll have to explore the where and the wind of that. What happened in my life that caused that to shut down? And really work through that process. What happened in your life that makes that so hard? Which obviously could be the where and the when. And God, by your spirit, what steps do I need to take because I really do want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I want people to look at my life and say, man, I want to be like that. I want to be able to honestly say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I really do. That God, there's some things that are holding me back. And if this is the obvious evidence of a Spirit-filled life, not just in a matter of saying, I know Jesus, I accepted him as my Savior. The goal of your journey in life is to be like him not just to have accepted him. 
And if there are things that are holding you back that you really honestly haven't explored, I'd love for you to take time to do that because to be honest with you, until you do, you're really never going to be able to move forward in your spiritual journey. You're either going to get stuck there or you'll keep going forward and back. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. And I can't do it in a mass audience. If I was doing it with a small group, man, we could do it really, really well together. But in a mass audience of five, six, seven, eight hundred people, whoever comes here on a Sunday morning, it's hard to do. But I'm telling you, if you're willing to do the work between now and next Sunday and listen to what we want to talk about next Sunday morning, I guarantee you, you can move forward in your journey with Jesus. And that's your ultimate goal. We'll even talk more about that next Sunday. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to explore your word. It is so powerful. Sometimes it feels like it's a measuring rod that is so high, I'll never be able to reach it. But you wouldn't tell us to do it. You wouldn't ask us to do it. You wouldn't command us to do it if it was impossible. And what I love is that you provide everything we need for life and godliness. You provide for us the power of your spirit to be able to listen to your voice, to know your word, to hear that in us that says, this is why, this is where, this is when. Now, let's move forward. So bless us in our journey as we do the work, as we walk through the process. Bring us back next Sunday morning, willing to explore this journey of our lives so that we can move forward to be all that you've designed us to be and to bear the fruit that we were intended to bear. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Please don't take any fruit home. We'll see you next Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate community next Sunday morning, and you'll see why they tie in together.